Maybe Amen. Soon. Amen. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, worship team. Man, that was some powerful worship, was it not? I couldn't control myself up here. It was awesome stuff, man. God is good. Amen. All the time, God is good. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when we were doing our transition, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 3 today. We're continuing in our series on Nehemiah. If you're here for the first time visiting, uh, just to kind of catch you up, uh, the book of Nehemiah is an Old Testament book uh, that was, uh, comes right after Ezra. It's at the same timing as Ezra uh, in the Old Testament and through history. And so with looking at this passage, we're, we're seeing kind of the build-up process leading to the building of the wall itself. Uh, Nehemiah is, is faced with a problem in chapter 1. He hears that Jerusalem, his beloved people of Israel, uh, the walls have been destroyed. They are in exile. They are going through so much. And Nehemiah, if you remember from two weeks ago, he cries out to God. And he tells God, Lord, after fasting, after weeping, after mourning over what he's heard of Jerusalem, he comes before God and he cries out to God. And he says that, Lord, forgive the sins of our people. Forgive the sins of me. Forgive the sins of my family. And Lord, please I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but please uh, use this for your glory. Use me however you see fit. And we know after hearing from Pastor Troy last week in chapter 2, how after four months of, of this time of praying before God, Nehemiah comes before King Artaxerxes, and he's the cupbearer. He's the one that takes on any kind of drink or anything before the king to make sure that the king doesn't get poisoned. He's the king's guy. And he comes before, and the king notices that something is up with Nehemiah. And in that moment, he just gives a quick, uh, as Pastor Troy calls it, a flare-up prayer to God saying, Lord, thank you for hearing me. Because he sees in that moment that the king is going to grant him permission to leave to go check on Jerusalem. And not only send him out to leave, but Nehemiah, as he goes, he's given these letters for the governors and anybody else he comes in contact with saying that the king has sent him. This is the same king that didn't want anything to do with Jerusalem. And yet God changes his heart and allows it. It brings this to the point where we are today. So as you're turning to chapter 3, I'm going to actually start right at the very tail end of 2 because I want to point out something from 2. And we're going to go into chapter 3. But I want you to think about something. And I'm in no way trying to make fun of the opportunity of preaching God's Word and relating it to football. So please don't take it that way. But this weekend was the last weekend that we had before college football starts. Some of us will say hallelujah. Amen. There, there's the next four months, there's going to be college football on television every single week. And me, and you can, you can hate on me for it if you want to, but my beloved Gamecocks, who will probably let me down again, go ahead, no, but they're getting ready to start their season. I hope not. I hope not. But they're getting ready to start their season next week. And you know, I got to thinking about it in the context of this passage today, with Nehemiah leading the charge for the building of the wall. I got to thinking about it with my beloved Gamecocks. If it comes time and the season starts, they're not going to get anywhere, or no football team for that matter is going to get anywhere, if only the quarterback went out on the field. Would you agree with that? If the quarterback alone ran out on the field and said, I got this, I'll handle it, I don't need anybody to do anything, he takes the football, he's going to have to snap the football himself, he can't pass anybody, so he's going to have to take off running, and the defensive line is going to swallow him up very quickly. Okay? We know that. Let's say the team comes up together and says, no, we're all going to go out on the field. We're all going to do this. The mission for us is to get to the end of the season, make the college football playoff, and hopefully win a national championship. So we're all going to push for that. We're all going to go out there. We're going to play hard. But they look around and they don't have a coaching staff. 
There's no head coach to help in the, the leading of the team. There's no other coaches to help in the playing of, the, of, of making the calls to, to ensure that this play happens here. There's nobody that's overlooking to see, oh man, that's what they're setting up there. They're going to blitz, so we need to have them uh, adjust here. There's nobody that can do that. It's just the team out on the field. Now, they could be some all-stars and they could play well, and they might win a game or two, but it's not going to go well for them if there's nobody in place helping guide them and coach them along the path. Would you agree? No football team is going to succeed that well. And so we come to this point, and I bring up that just to get you to start thinking about that. The church is called by God on mission to, to make his name known to the people in which God has placed them. For Holmes Avenue, he's called us here in Park Circle to be on mission for him. You hear me reference that word a lot, mission. But the mission of God for us here at Holmes Avenue is to glorify God and make disciples of Christ Jesus. That's our mission statement. That's what we live by. And the same is true for our brothers and sisters who proclaim Christ in this community. The whole point of why we exist is to lift high the name of Jesus and to tell others about him until the day he calls us home or he returns. Amen? That is, that is, the, that is the mission for us. Now, we all have vocations that we have to fill and we have to do those things along the way. But the overall point of why we exist and are still here on this earth, if we are in Christ, is to proclaim Christ and tell it to everybody. And we look at tonight. We have an amazing opportunity tonight to come alongside our brothers and sisters in other churches in this community and pray for our community itself. I think it's a powerful opportunity that we have tonight. Just to, to come alongside and say, God, these are the desires and things that we see is that we need you to intervene with in our city. So I encourage you, there's a little commercial for you. Again, please try to come tonight for that. But I think about all of that in context of Nehemiah in chapter 3. And here today we're going to see, it's, it's kind of one of those passages where you just read and they say a name and then it tells them what they did and it just kind of repeats itself throughout the passage. But there's something very, very important that we're going to see about this. And those of you that have heard me preach before, you know that I'm, I usually typically will go verse by verse and preach through it. That's the way that I've been taught, and that's the way I feel God leads me to, to preach. I'm going to do something just very slightly different, just because a lot of this is the same kind of thing that we're reading over and over again. But I have some applicable points, I think, that can really help us in regards to where we are here as a church. So with that said, I am in no way being disrespectful to the Word of God and reading it, um, but I know that this is a lengthy passage, so I'm just going to leave you guys to sit for this, but I will read through it. Uh, so let's look, in starting in verse 18 of chapter 2. Verse 18 of chapter 2. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalet and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or, or right or claim in Jerusalem. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Then Elishab the high priest rose up with his brothers the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built... And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesena built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired. 
And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Barakai, son of Meshubal, repaired. Excuse me. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, uh, repaired. And next to them, the Teokites repaired, and their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Verse 6. Joida, the son of Pesah, the Meshulam, the son of Besadiah, repaired the gate of Yeshina. And they laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, and men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah, and seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, son of Herariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. The broad wall. Next to them, Repavi, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Herempham, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, son of Heshebaniah, repaired. Malchijah, son of Harim, Hashab, and the son of Pehab Moab, repaired another section of the tower of the Owens. Next to him, Shalom, son of Heleshesh, ruler of the half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate and rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. That's about 500 yards if you're keeping along with that. Melechiah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors and bolts and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhozeh, Ruler of the district of Mizpah repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden and as far as the stairs go down to the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half the district of Bezor, repaired to the point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. That is not the same Nehemiah as in this book. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Benai. Next to him, Hashabiah, rulers of the half and district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Hinnadad, ruler of the half district of Keilah. Next to him, Eser, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another, section opposite the accent of the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hazaz, Hakaz, excuse me, repaired another section of the door of the house of Elishib to the end of the house of Elishib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin, Benjamin and Heshub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Bimenu, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Uzziah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower, projecting them from the upper house to the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to the point opposite the water gate at the east and projecting tower. After him, the Teokites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Verse 28, above the house gate, the priests repaired each of his opposite of his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemini, the son of Shechaniah, the, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. 
After him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaniah, the Hanum, and the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber on the corner. And verse 32, And between the upper chamber on the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmith and the merchants repaired. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you can use a mere sinful man that is saved by your grace to preach your word. And Lord, I thank you that, Lord, just standing before these people and having the opportunity to preach your word, it's such a humbling thing. I thank you, God, for the opportunity. Father, as we look at this passage, Lord, and look at these points and how they can apply to us, God, Lord, I pray that you be glorified. I pray for our brothers and sisters that are lifting high the name of Jesus now. Move mightily through their churches. Move mightily through ours and use us all for your glory. Be with us now. Let the distractions fade away and let us hear from you in Christ's name. Amen. A little bit of a tongue twister, huh? (laughs) Lots and lots of names. And I know that can be very tedious, it, it may appear, but there's a reason why it's in God's Word. God lays it out and shows us all of this for a specific purpose. And one of the big things that we can see from this passage, looking at chapter 3 of Nehemiah, is that through this chapter alone, we see that all of God's people are needed to come together to accomplish the mission. God gave Nehemiah this mission to go and check out Jerusalem, to see what has been happening in Jerusalem. He gave it through the king. The king gave him the rite of passage to be able to go. He gave him the letters to any time he comes in conflict with someone, he can say that the king has sent him. And ultimately, Nehemiah is projecting everything back to God, saying, yes, this was allowed, but look, God provided the way for me. We know that, looking at the end of chapter uh, 2 that we just saw a few moments ago, we know that the moment in verse 18, when, when Nehemiah tells them the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also the words of the king had spoken to me and said, let us rise up and build. The people heard Nehemiah. And Nehemiah made it clear, God has made the way for this to happen. And God has even allowed the king to grant me permission to go. And the people in that moment that say, it doesn't say they say, well, that doesn't sound safe, so I'm not going to do it. No, the people said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And as we know from from verse 19 and verse 20 of chapter 2, as we read, specifically 19, these men come back and they're jeering him and they're despising him and they're saying, you're going against the king. Surely you can't do this. And then Nehemiah, as Mr. Ed and I will recognize from our, our little fan of wrestling, he laid the smackdown on him, if you will, in verse 20, when he says, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Basically, Nehemiah is saying, Hey, God's going to do this. He sent us to do it. He's provided the way. We're going to do it. Step aside. And so they go in, and verse 1 of chapter 3 jumps right into it of the rebuilding of the wall. Now, there's something very important that I want us to see. Two main points, and then just some things that we can take and apply. The first and foremost is, in order for us to accomplish the mission, we have to do all things for God's glory. We must do all things for God's glory, point number one. We have to. 
we see in the opening of that verse in chapter one, excuse me, verse uh, chapter three, it says that Elishab the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. Nehemiah has been told by God to do this. Nehemiah casts the vision to them, and what does the high priest do? This is the high priest. They get up and they say, let's build, and they jump right on it. And they start to build. Now the sheep gate, in, in reference to the wall of Jerusalem around it, it was close to the temple. Hence the reason why the high priest is jumping in to start doing this. The high priest and his brothers. And so the brother priest. So they come in and they start to do it. What is the significance of the sheep gate? The sheep gate is the point in which when people would come into the temple, because remember, God resided in the temple, they would come in with their sheep and their lambs and they would come to sacrifice to God. So this is a very important place. That's why the high priest and the, and the other priests are there and they're, they're working hard to do this. Glorifying God, it requires obedience. That's why I say for point one that we are supposed to do all things for God's glory. When we are told by God and we know that God has called us to do something, if we know that he said, go and do this now, and we say, no, I don't want to do that, we're being blatantly disobedient to God. Had Nehemiah heard these words in chapter 1 and said, ah, well, man, I, I care about them, but I, I can't, I, I, good luck to them, and just let it be, he would be disobedient to God because God has obviously, as we've seen in chapter 1 and 2, God has made the way for Nehemiah to go through the process to get where he is now to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah had the burden on his heart for his people. And so in his obedience to God, he steps out. Given the perfect opportunity in chapter 2 before the king, the king says, what is going on? What is troubling you? And for him to even ask, as Troy pointed out last week, for him to even ask to, to, to be able to leave to go to Jerusalem, the place the king doesn't even want him to be, he could have gotten in a lot of trouble. He could have died. Yet in boldness, in obedience to God, he told the king all that he was brokenhearted for and how he wanted to go and check out Jerusalem to help with the process. The work of following God, it's no easy task. But we need to have partners in ministry in the mission to accomplish the mission itself. So as we're doing all things for God's glory... God is going to bring along people in our lives that we come alongside and partner with on the journey of the mission. For us here at Holmes Avenue, it is the church. When we come into fellowship here, as members here at Holmes Avenue, we say, I feel that God is calling me to be here. I want to be here as a part of this church. Then God brings us into a fellowship of other brothers and sisters in Christ who we partner up with, who we bear one another's burdens with, as Paul talks about in the New Testament. And we bear those burdens and we seek to glorify God on the mission together, hand in hand. We are the team going out on the field. And God has put leadership in place for us that seeks after God to glorify Him, to obey Him, to do whatever He calls us to do that helps us in leading the mission charge here. Nehemiah was that leader. Nehemiah is the one that comes out. There is no mention or praise of Nehemiah in chapter 3. Chapter 3 just talks about all of those who came together and partnered together to help. Now, remember when I was reading it just a moment ago, I referenced Nehemiah 3.16. That Nehemiah is not the same Nehemiah that had the burden to go for God. So it's two different Nehemiahs. Keep that note. But as Nehemiah has been called by God, he's the one leading this mission. He's the one standing up against the naysayers as the end of chapter 2. 
And he's casted the vision, and the people say, well, let's get up and let's build this thing. Let's do this, because this is for God's glory. This is what God wants. Moving right along from that into point two, I just referenced part, uh, partnerships, but we have to work together to accomplish the mission. We have to work together to accomplish the mission. Look at verse 3, 4, and 5. The, the sons of Hesanah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechai, son of Meshabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, uh, excuse me, Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Teokites repaired. From their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. There's something that we see all throughout, of the, all throughout this chapter. We see that a name is mentioned, and it says they repaired. Or we see a name is mentioned, and they built. And then the next person, and then the next person. All of these people came together as one to repair, because there were parts of the wall that were not completely destroyed. So they came in to repair and to build the wall back to what it should have been. Back to what it was before it was destroyed. And so they're all working together. We know through reading throughout the rest of Nehemiah that it only took them 52 days. That's unheard of. But they all came together and they worked for this purpose, for the mission that God called them to with rebuilding the wall. And it all came to, to them working together. Now verse 5, as I just read, says their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. We know from the end of chapter 2 again that there were people that were opposed to what Nehemiah was doing. They thought it was crazy. They thought it was going against the king. And Nehemiah puts him in his place. Well, we see here in verse 5 that it says that some of the nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. There were people, even at this point, as the wall is being rebuilt, that would not stoop to serve. They would not do it. I read through that, and, and it's just it's, it's disappointing to see that. Because you read that and you're like, man, what? Nehemiah has made it clear that God has sent him and he's doing this. Why would somebody just blatantly say, no, I'm not going to stoop to do that? And then I got to thinking about it. Throughout the journey of, of following God on the mission, there are going to be naysayers. There are going to be people that say, ah, a church ain't going to make it. Or, ah, that's crazy. That's unheard of. Why would you do that? Or, ah, I think that's too overwhelming of a task. There may even be people within the church that are going to say that. But if we are actively pursuing God every single day, if we're fulfilling what he t Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.33, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We know that if we are truly seeking God and we are following Him, no matter what a naysayer says, no matter what kind of objection they're going to shoot out at you, if you're following God because God has called you to do it, stay the course because God is going to make the way known. He's going to carry you through it, bless you, and He is going to help all throughout the course of the mission. If you face a naysayer, somebody that is in Christ, maybe they're just going through a hard time, maybe they say, I can't do that, I won't do that. Whatever it may be, you have to also remember, just as these guys, they're not just being disobedient to Nehemiah. Who are they being disobedient to? They're being disobedient to God. Because you have to remember, God gave Nehemiah the call. God told Nehemiah to go and do this. 
And so as Nehemiah is telling them, this is what God has said to do, if there's people that say, nah, not doing that, I'm not stooping to that, they're being disobedient to God. And so on the course of the mission, as part of the church, if we encounter that, we have to stand firm and say, God has called us to do this, we're going to do it. If you're not in with that, pray for them and show them leadership by being obedient to God. Because here's the thing, obedience to God speaks volumes. When we're obedient to God and we're truly seeking after Him and we want to glorify Him with our lives and we stand in full surrender no matter what we face, even when we face hard times, even when we face struggles, if we stand firm on the Word of God and we stand firm on what God has called us to, that obedience and that trust in God will be like a gigantic megaphone in front of you and you don't even have to speak into it. Because your faith and your trust will speak volumes. And it will change lives for God's glory. You don't have to say it. You don't have to go up and shake somebody and say, why don't you see this? Trust God. Be faithful. And God will speak for you in powerful, powerful ways. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Brian, that's hard. Every day is a struggle. I understand. I get it. This past week's been a struggle for me, just being honest. But every day that I wake up, no matter what I face... I know who's on the throne. And I know that my call as a follower of him is to trust him and to glorify him with whatever he tells me to do. And so for these folks, they're seeing the leadership of Nehemiah on display. Nehemiah is saying, no matter what opposition I'm going to face, and you're going to see he's going to get more in chapter 4, but he says, no matter what opposition I face, God's called me to do it. We're doing this. If you're not with it, move aside. We're doing it. Profound stuff. There are many other things that we could point out from this, but for the sake of time, I want to point out some things that are some huge takeaways for us from this passage. I encourage you to please take the time, and, I, and like I said, I know it's hard because you're reading these names and it's you're trying to pronounce them and understand where you're going with all of these. But as, as you're reading through this, number one, I would encourage you, if you don't have a study Bible, get a study Bible. If you don't know how to get one, I'll give you one. I'll find a way. But there are some really good, insightful things that as you reach these names, there also is a huge map inside of study Bibles that point it all out. I would encourage you to get your hands on one. If you don't, I, like I said, I will definitely get you in, in contact with one. But one of the things that I think is just so cool is as the high priest is starting to build the sheep gate, it goes all the way around full circle. And so it's building the, the wall counterclockwise. And at the end of it, you'll notice in verse 32, it says, in between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. It started at the sheep gate. It came all the way back around to the sheep gate. Now, I don't want to get all theological, but think about that for a moment. The building of the wall 
where God called Nehemiah to do started at the Sheep Gate, which is the same place where they would go into the sacrifices to God. That was a moment to glorify God. And so all the work comes back around where? Full circle to the Sheep Gate where they would go in with the sacrifices to glorify God. That ought to tell us something. Everything we do, no matter what we face, as we go all throughout the journey of life, everything comes back to the point that everything should be done to the glory of God. For His name's sake. Some takeaways. The walls. This wall that is being built. It is for security for them. It is so that they can be safe from the attacks of their enemies. It is there in place, but... I would even dare say this wall represents their identity in God. Because as the wall is being rebuilt, it's the place in which the temple is. It is the place in which God has told Nehemiah, this is how you're going to go. Go about here and do it. As that wall is built, it's to show God is not finished with them yet. That is huge, especially for us. Because the restoration of the wall represents the reversal of the humiliation and of the defeat and destruction suffered by Israel's sin. We know from reading previously that Israel had sinned. And this was allowed to happen. But God coming back and saying, no, the wall must be rebuilt. And as the wall is being rebuilt, it gives the proclamation to God, God's not done with us yet. God is reversing the humiliation of our sin and He's restoring the wall. Think about Nehemiah in chapter 2, verse 3, where he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then also, Nehemiah 2.17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer. Nehemiah is telling them, Guys, this is where we are. This is the situation we're in. But God is bigger than this situation. And God is going to prove Himself to us. And God is going to restore this. Now think about that in the context of our lives for those of us in Christ. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 5, 5 through 11. It says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will will, uh, scarcely die for the righteous person. Through perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were the enemies, we're still reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than light, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
We have been reconciled to God because of the great love that he has for us when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross, the perfect Lamb of God. He took on our sins. He did not sin, but he took on the weight of our sin on the cross where his blood poured out for us. And he was taken off of the cross and he was put inside of a tomb where the enemy thought he would won. And three days later, as we know, he got out of the grave. He arose and he's at the right hand of God the Father until the day he returns. And he is there, and he is waiting, and he's ready, and he says, if you are not in Christ, come to me. I was reminded this week of a passage. It won't be on the screen. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. God just gave it to me. But he says, for those of you, and I'm paraphrasing, but those of you who are weak and heavy laden, come to me, and I'll give you rest. This Jesus, this Jesus, he's given us the beautiful gift of reconciliation with God if we proclaim Christ as Lord. It's because of His blood that was shed for us at Calvary. His death, burial, and resurrection gives us life. Nehemiah was obedient to leading the people as God had called him to. And we see that most people were obedient to follow Nehemiah, ultimately obedient to follow God. The Lord has blessed us with the opportunity to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say He's blessed us because it's not a duty that we have to do. We can't look at it that way. It is a commandment, and God says, go. He doesn't say when you feel like it. He doesn't doesn't say however you want to do it. He just says, go. Make disciples. Teach them. And he always gives us that promise. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. We are called by God to take the gospel with us. And just as these people followed the obedience of Nehemiah, who ultimately was being obedient to God to lead in the rebuilding of the wall, and God restored that, he restores us every single day by his grace and His mercy. Praise God, His mercies are new every day. Praise God, His grace is new every day. Man, you can go ahead and come forward. For our church, we are all part of the body. First Corinthians, it, it goes in, in deep uh, explanation of how the church are all members of the body. We're the body of Christ. And we all have to be in it together. Now, we're not, we're not trying to build or rebuild a wall here. But we are given the amazing gift. And I say gift because it is. We are given the amazing gift to be a part of God's plan in building the kingdom. God has given us the command to go. He's given us the opportunity to be on His team, being His vessels to preach the gospel through the lost world around us so that the kingdom may grow. I love in the Lord's Prayer how it says that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're here today and you identify yourself as a follower of Christ but you don't feel like you've truly bought in, I guess you could say, to the missioner said, God, I truly am surrendering to you. I can't do a lot physically. Man, I can pray. 
I can't do a lot with my time, but man, I can pray. I don't know what the reason is, but if you feel like you're at that point and God's telling you, hey, whatever way you need to, repent and come forward and just do whatever I need you to do. Do that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, man, you've got a great opportunity right now. The band's going to sing this song called Come As You Are. And I love the words of the song because it just makes it clear. It don't matter who you are. It don't matter what you've done. Just come as you are. Because Jesus will take you gladly as you are and bring you into his fellowship. If you don't know what all that means, I can make it clear to you. I can sit down and talk with you. I will do whatever it takes for you to know Christ. If he's drawing near, take the opportunity to come forward and pull me aside and talk to me. Let's pray and then the band will sing. Father God, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this great, great true story of what you did with the rebuilding of this wall. I thank you, God, that we have your word, no matter where it is in Scripture, and we can see exactly how you have moved and how you have done incredible things all throughout history and how you're going to be doing incredible things at the end of this age. Lord, even right now, at this point in the grand scheme of this life, Lord, you have us all here right now in this moment for a purpose. Collectively as a congregation, our purpose is to glorify you and make disciples of Christ Jesus. Individually, that can be done in a, in a wide variety of ways, through jobs, through volunteer work, through, through whatever it is that you put on our hearts. But Lord, ultimately, in this moment, as this song is being sung, God, if you are speaking to our hearts, Lord, let us not be distracted by our thoughts of what we need to do or whatever. God, speak to us and let us be obedient to step out for whatever it is. Be glorified, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.